0: Welcome to We Play if you're excited to be here. Say yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I want to just welcome everybody who might be watching or listening online over the internet or if somebody gave you a CD, whatever. We just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are with us today. Uh, Thank God for the miracle of technology, right? All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, guys, listen, this is part one of our We Play series and you know as we're moving towards summer here, as the end of the school year uh, is starting to crank down on us over the next month or or so, uh, we wanted to just kind of lighten things up a little bit, we wanted to kind of back this thing out, kind of have a little bit of fun with it and and so that's why we call this thing We Play and I got to be honest with you, I I just have such a, a sense in my heart, such an urgency in my spirit. That God wants to do something amazing over the next five weeks as we go through this We Play series. One of my favorite things to do with my kids is play the We. Uh, man, we love we love playing the We at the Keller household. Here's what we don't love: I do not love that my kids are better at the We than I am. My one son, we do bowling, and my nine-year-old, he's like, you know, the TV's over here, and he's like, hey, watch this, you know, and he's like bowling to the side, strike, every time. I'm like, son. Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, as, as Mike and Scott just said, one of the things that we we love about the we is that you can create your own me. That you can create like a cartoon self. And then in, in a lot of the games, you actually get to participate in the game. Well, that's the same thing that we want to do in this series, is over the next five weeks, we, wanna, we want to put ourselves into the game of life. What does it look like for you and I to insert ourselves into the game of life? And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about that. Today, we're going to be talking about playing hard. And, and playing the game of life hard and starting with the question, what are we playing for? That from time to time we have to zoom out from our life, we can get so in it uh, that we forget what we're fighting for, we forget what we're playing for. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Next week on Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about playing with respect. And not only are we going to be doing our child dedication next Sunday, which is just going to be incredible in both of our services, but we're also going to be talking about and honoring mothers and talking about how you and I respect mothers and how we can take some cues from our moms so you do not want to miss it if you have a mom within like i don't know 600 miles of here get him here next week it's going to be great week part 3 of our series called we play we're going to be talking about playing together talking about the role that relationships play in the game of life, that if we're going to insert ourselves into the game of life, then we've got to be able to see ourselves playing together, relating with one another and how important that is. Part four then, on May the 23rd, we're going to be talking about playing rested, and we're going to be looking into the Word of God at at what the role of rest has to do with playing the game of life effectively. And then the final part of the series, part five, the fifth week, the last week of May, we're going to be talking about playing through the pain. But the reality is, when it comes to the game of life, pain is a non-negotiable. Pain is is an inevitable part of playing the game of life. Well, how you and I deal with pain, how we walk through pain, is as important as anything else we do in terms of the game of life that God has called us to play. So today, this is part one. If you have your bulletin, I would love for you to follow along. We've got some fill-in-the-blanks there in your bulletin. You'll be able to track right along with us as we move through this. Because today, we're going to start with playing hard. We play the game of life, playing hard. And I want us to first zoom all the way out to the question, what are we playing for? What are we fighting for? Because oftentimes, if if we forget what we're playing for, if we forget the the bigger purpose, the bigger vision of our life, then we run the risk of of getting discouraged. And this morning, I want to point us to a group of people who found themselves in exactly that same place, that they they had this huge vision called by God for this vision. And as they were pursuing it, as they were making progress and heading toward the vision, some circumstances happened that interrupted it all, and they they ran the risk of getting discouraged. And the story is found in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Because in this story, we find uh, this group of people who ran the risk of losing sight of what it was they they were fighting for, what they were playing for. And as you're turning there to Nehemiah chapter 4, let me kind of give a little background information. Nehemiah was a high-up government official in a foreign government in the day. And uh, he was working in the government, but he was one of the Jews. He was one of the, the people of God in the Old Testament. And so his heart was breaking for Jerusalem. And as he looked at the city of God, Jerusalem, and the people of God, he, he saw that the wall around Jerusalem had been broken down. And not just a little bit broken down, but a lot broken down. And not just for a little while, but for a long while. In fact, the Bible tells us, and history tells us, that the wall of Jerusalem had been broken down for over a hundred years. And, and here's what that meant. To you and I, were like, what's the big deal? It's a wall. My neighbor's fence is busted down, and his dog gets out all the time. Who cares? Okay, it's a little bit bigger deal than that. Here's what's going on. Basically, in those days, the wall around your city represented the strength of your God. So for over a century, for over a hundred years, other nations, other other groups of people would look on to the people of God, and they would say, man, your God's a disgrace. Your God must not be very strong and powerful at all, because if he was, your wall would be built. Weak wall, weak God. Secondly, it exposed the people to, to, to hazardous things that they were vulnerable to attack like crazy because they didn't have a wall. But third and maybe most important thing that I want us to understand this morning before we get into this message is that the wall of Jerusalem had been broken down and here's what that meant. When Nehemiah saw that, his heart was burdened for the next generation because Nehemiah was looking on saying, I, we cannot allow another generation to to come and go, to to grow up thinking their God is weak, thinking that their God is not powerful, thinking that their God is not strong, and being a disgrace to all of the surrounding nations. This had, the, the implications of the vision that God had called Nehemiah and the children of Israel to had everything to do with the next generation. Setting the stage for the future of God's people. And so that's where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah goes back to the city. He begins to motivate people, mobilize people to rebuild the wall. And after a hundred years, they begin the work of rebuilding the wall. So after a few weeks, they get excited. They get moving on it. And then in verse, er, chapter 4, verse 1, the story begins to pick up right here in terms of them pursuing the vision. But watch what happens next. Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat, who was an enemy... Heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. So the enemy hears that the people of God have gotten a hold of the vision of God. A God-sized, God-ordained vision. And they started to pursue it. They started to move in that direction. And the enemies were, were angry. They were incensed. They were not okay with God's people getting a godly vision and pursuing it. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? What's happening here? Sanballat begins to mock and oppose the vision of God. Now, here's, what I, here's where I want us to, to, to key in this morning. I believe that we have so much in common with these guys, with God's people in the Old Testament right here. Because, see, here's what I think. In the same way that they were pursuing a God-sized, God-ordained vision, so are we. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's true for us in our church. I look on at what God has called us as a church to be and to do in the years ahead. The leadership that he has called us to here in Southwest Florida and across our nation. And I look on and I go, that's a God-sized, God, God-big, God-ordained vision that he's calling us to next level church. That's huge. But not just for our church. It's a vision for each and every one of us. For the fathers in the room, it's a vision for your children. To grow up, the next generation grow up and honor God. For the moms in the room, it's it's a vision. For your children, for for school teachers, for business people, for men and women, for sons and daughters. God has put a vision inside of our hearts. A God-shaped, God-ordained vision. Some of us, we have a vision that our marriage would be stronger this year than it was last year. That's a God vision. Some of us have been given a vision that we're going to honor God with with the resources and finances that he's put in our hands. More this year than we've ever had before. I don't care what it is. I I think that each and every one of us listening today, God has placed a God-sized, god ordained vision in every single one of our hearts. Well, guess what? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Whenever we pursue a God-sized vision, whenever we pursue the right mission, we must expect Opposition. We must expect opposition. The minute the the children of Israel started to work toward a God-sized vision of rebuilding the wall and and making it so their God was no longer a disgrace, the minute they set their mind to that, the enemies rose up. Ever notice that in your life? Isn't it interesting how the minute you make a determination that you want to get your marriage stronger and more healthy than it's ever been, it feels like all, all hell breaks loose in your life? The minute you decide, man, we're going we're gonna to prioritize family time like we never have before. The minute you do that, it's like all of these chaotic things and responsibility. And it's like, well, all of a sudden, the things go haywire. The minute you decide to honor God with your finances and say, man, we're going to put God first. The minute you do, all, it's just like, it's just, where where'd all the money go? You ever notice that? Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but this whole opposition thing is hard for me. Because, because I know in my heart... The, the minute we step out and step toward a God-sized vision, opposition will come. I know that's true. But why does it always surprise me? You ever notice that? You ever notice that the minute you take the step, it's like, surprise, there's opposition. and, and if, I don't know if you're anything like me, but like the minute opposition starts to come, when we start stepping into the, the big vision of God, opposition comes. If you're like me, I start whining. I start complaining, I start moping around, I start walking around, I'm, I'm all depressed, I'm all tired. Why is that? Why is it that when you and I pursue the vision of God and opposition rises up against us, which should be an indicator that we're on the right track, we're all like, God, why have you left me? Why do you hate me so much? <laughs> I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but it's like, that's just in my world. But they didn't do that. Check it out. Verse 4, look what they did. The minute opposition rose up against them, verse 4, look. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. What did they do? They didn't run from God. They didn't start questioning God. They didn't start questioning the vision of God. They they just turned right to God. They said, God, check it out. Look, we are despised. And the truth is, they let opposition to the vision motivate them to push even harder. Verse 6, look, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. The minute the, the opposition came against the God-sized vision that he had birthed inside of them, what did they do? They started working with all their heart. They started pushing in. They started pressing in, going, all right, this must be the right vision. This might be the right path. We're no longer playing it safe. We're no longer playing it it's safe and, and, and close to the chest. No way, man. We're pushing it. This says they started working with all of their heart, which only made their enemies even more mad. Verse 7, when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and all the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, look at this, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And if they weren't mad before, oh, they're mad now. Now you poke the bear. Now you made us mad. Listen, here's what I want us to understand. If you hear nothing else I say today, I hope you'll hear this. Listen, every great vision from God will be. Will be. Not might be, not could be, not maybe, just maybe. No, 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 no. Listen, every great vision from God for our lives, for our city, for our church, whatever it is, for our children, for our marriage, every great vision from God will be tested and opposed. We better get ready. Matter of fact, I'll go for, uh, this far. If we're not feeling opposition, there's a good chance we might not be pursuing a God-sized vision. Opposition will come. But notice what they did, verse 9. But we prayed. We prayed to our God and posted a guard at the door day and night to meet this threat. When opposition came, they did two things. Number one, they prayed. In other words, they fought the battle in the spirit realm. And number two, they posted a guard. They fought the battle in the natural Listen, here's what we have to understand. When you and I pursue the God-sized, God-ordained vision that he has for us and for our marriage and for our family and our workplace and our neighborhoods and our communities and our church and our small group, when you and I pursue that kind of God-sized vision, we need to fight on two levels. Number one, we need to fight on the spirit realm. And number two, we need to fight in the natural realm. And let me just say this. This is not either or. This is not one or the other. Listen, some of us need to start fighting in the spirit realm for our kids. Some of us need to start fighting in the spirit realm for our families, for our marriages. Because we're not living in a spiritually neutral environment. Listen, don't underestimate the amount of spiritual attack that is on us. Do you realize what God has entrusted to us as a church? Do you realize what's at stake? Do you realize what's possible when a group of people this size begin to unify around one great vision? To see communities downtown transformed like never before? Do we even know what's at stake? Listen, thank you very much, mom. Listen, do we even know what's at stake? I'm just kidding. These are lost people. These are lost generation. There's a generation of children downtown right now who've never seen what a godly man or a godly father figure in their life is supposed to look like. There's a generation of kids going to our elementary schools right now who have no idea what a relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like. There are thousands of high school and junior high students right now W- living and walking, they get, they're in this building for crying out loud. And they're living without purpose and hope and significance. And they think the way to purpose and hope and significance is to just give themselves to whatever. Whenever, whoever, because that will make them popular. Listen, we're fighting for the soul of a generation, Next Level Church. And we can't back down. we got to fight in the spirit realm. I could preach. Whew. We got to fight. We got to fight for our kids. We got to fight for our marriages. We got to fight for purity in our thought life. Why? Because it matters. Because there's a generation at stake. And we as a church will not stand by and let another generation grow up distant and far from God. We will not. We will fight. It wasn't even in the notes. We got to pray. That's why these first Monday prayer and fastings are so important. Listen, this ain't just like a hey, it's a great way to uh, lose a couple of pounds on the first day of the month. No, no, although that's a benefit. Listen, there's power when God's people pray, and make no mistake about it, Satan is never happy. When a Christian starts to dream big dreams for God. Satan is never happy, happy when one of God's people starts to see big visions for God. He's never happened. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2. This isn't up there in, on the slide. Sorry. Uh, God put this on my heart this morning while I was praying through this message. Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, including Southwest Floridians. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Guys, listen. The day of seeing visions, young men and young women, is on. The old men will dream dreams. Guys, it's on. It's on. The vision of God is great. Woo! Martha, I ain't never seen him like this. Verse 10. They fought in the spirit realm. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said... The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. So they're praying and they're seeking God. But then they get to this moment in time. And sometimes we feel this way, like the battle is so hard that it just makes us want to quit. Ever felt that way? The laborers, they look on and they're like, listen, we've been, doing, we've been working with all of our might, with our might as hard as we can. And we're dying here. Our strength is almost gone. We're looking at the task before us, the vision before us, and we're looking at this rubble, these rocks, and we're not even sure how this is going to be possible. And then look at verse 11. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to this work. The people of God, pursuing the vision of God, reached a pivotal place where they wanted to give up where their strength was gone, where the enormity of the vision was too great in their eyes, and where they were beginning to hear so loud in their ears the voice of their enemy saying, we'll wait, we'll sabotage you, and when the minute you turn your back, we'll destroy you and shut the whole thing down. Ever felt like that? Ever felt that way while you're pursuing the vision God has for your life? Like you want to just give up? So check it out. Here's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah formulates a strategy. He says, okay, guys, I recognize the the state that we are in. And here's what we're going to do about it. Look, verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And the remainder of our time together this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to talk through a seven-step strategy that Nehemiah invoked for playing hard Nehemiah surveys the landscape he sees the condition of the people he looks on at the enormity of it all he sees the huge vision that God has placed in his heart as a leader placed in the hearts of the people and he says guys here's what we got to do and in verse 13 he starts laying out this seven-step strategy step number one I don't know if you noticed it or not is this know where you're exposed What is the strategy? Number one, what do we do to see this God-sized vision come through? How do we play hard? Well, number one, we got to know where we're exposed. Where are the low points? Look what he said. He said he positioned people at the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Here's the reality. Every single one of us have low points. Every one of us have exposed places in our heart, in our life. The problem is most of us. Don't know where those those low points are. See, Nehemiah was wise as a leader to look at the wall and recognize there's a low point. There's a place where we're exposed. There's there's a a place over there where we're exposed. Nehemiah knew where the low points were. If the enemy's going to attack us, he's going to attack us in this area. So here's the question for us. If the enemy's going to attack you, what area is he going to attack? I guarantee you, every one of us right now in our minds know exactly where that is. That's the low point. That's the exposed place in your heart. And here's what you got to know about the enemy: He is patient. And he will wait until you're not looking, until your low point, your exposed place in your life is vulnerable and unmanned. And then he'll sneak in and he'll attack and he'll ambush you. Satan will always exploit our low points if we don't defend them so how do we do that well nehemiah gives us the way to do that two things number one he says relationships notice what it says he posted men there by families it was all relational how do we guard the low points the exposed places of our life it's through relationship those that we fight with who we are closest to what is that that's relationship. That's our connection groups, guys. Listen, when Mike and Scott get out here and they talk about connection groups and, and we're launching our, our summer series or our summer semester of these, listen, this ain't playtime. This ain't like, oh, let's do okay. Oh, connection groups, we'll see if I can fit it in my schedule. No, it's a war. We need each other. Who are you fighting with? Who are you in relationship with enough? That you know that person's got your back and they got your back at the lowest point in your life. If Satan's going to attack you, where's he going to attack? Where's the low point? Where's the exposed point? Then you have to be vulnerable enough with somebody to let them know if Satan's going to come and kick my tail, this is where it's going to happen. And I need you to watch my back. That's why our connection groups are so powerful, you guys. Because they are relational on-ramps where you and I can begin to to get in relationship and fight with one another. And the second piece of that is, number one, he positioned them relationally. But then secondly, notice what he said. He gave them swords and spears and bows. He said, when you get to the low places, when you get to the the exposed places, you got to be ready to fight. Listen, it's a fight. If your low place is in greed... Then, then you gotta position someone relationally near you that can be watching your back, going, dude, what's your motivation here? Is, is your motivation greed? Or is your motivation something else? They gotta be watching that exposed place for you. And they gotta be ready to fight. If, if it's a if it's lustful thoughts and a runaway thought life, listen, you gotta position someone on your wall to watch the exposed place in our wall. To walk up beside us and behind us and go, hey, how's it going? How's your thought life? That's what Nehemiah did. He said, who are you in relationship with? Now get there and get ready to aggressively fight. When the enemy comes, and he will come, you can't be standing there going, well, excuse me, Mr. Uh, Sandballot, I know you want to get through here and kind of stop this whole project, but we think that's probably not a good idea. Thank you for returning to where you came from. That ain't going to work. It's a battle. It's a battle. And we got to be ready to fight. Mm. If I was like old school, I'd be like, can I get an amen? Arian, get out here on the B3. Whoa. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That'd be like a drug for me. I don't know if I could do it. I'd just be like, bum, ba, got seven. Bum, bum, boom. That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. But we're not going to do that. Just kidding. No, 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 no. (laughs) She's really back there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Some of you are like, do it, do it, do it. We want to see. Wind him up and watch when he pops. (laughs) Number two, we got to remember the Lord. How do we fight for a generation? How do we fight for the the god-sized vision that he's placed inside of all of our lives individually as families as a church for our community we got to remember the lord look what it says in verse 14 after i looked these things over i stood up and i said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people don't be afraid of them remember the lord who is great and awesome Remember the Lord. Listen, what's the strategy to see this God-sized vision come to pass in our church? What's the strategy of seeing this God-sized vision come to pass in our homes and in our marriages and in the next generation and in our cities and in our communities? What's the strategy? To remember that we don't fight alone. He looks around. He sees the enemy. He sees the exposed places in the wall. And he goes, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Because God's on our side. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Listen, I don't know what you might be facing today. I don't know where the exposed place is in your life. And maybe your marriage is in the tank. And maybe your kids have run off the deep end. And maybe your your financial life looks really, really bad. Or maybe, I don't know what it is, but you're questioning the vision. And you're going, man, I don't know if we can do this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who fights for us. Remember the Lord who led us into this vision. For we do not fight alone. He fights with us. Remember the Lord. Step three, fight. Verse 14, he continues. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he goes right on with this thought. You got to fight. Mm-mm. Boy, you're right. Mm-mm. What does he say? He says, fight for your people. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. He says, listen, don't ever forget who it is that we're fighting for. Why are we doing all this? Why are we going downtown? Why are we building a building and buying property? Why are we doing all this as a church? It's for us. It's It's the personal side of this vision. It's for lost people in our neighborhoods. It's for lost people in our offices. It's for lost people in our schools. It's for our community. It's our city. We're not gonna let it go to hell in a handbag. We're not gonna let everybody else try and think of how to solve the problems. We're gonna be the solution. We're not fighting for a bigger paycheck or a bigger office or a closer parking space. We're not fighting for prestige or fame. We're not fighting for an early retirement. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for a vision from God to see the next generation grow up knowing what it is to be passionately in love with their God. Notice in verse 15. Their resolve instantly caused the enemy to back up. Look, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall. Each to his own work. Listen, some of us, you've got to hear this. The very fact that you haven't stood your ground is the very reason why the enemy keeps kicking your tail. Because some of us, we've just been all wishy-washy. We've been all mamby-pamby about the vision of God in our life. Well, guess what? Satan knows that. Satan loves nothing more than to get a bunch of Christ followers, a bunch of Christians, all wishy-washy and comfortable. He loves that. Listen, it's a fight. And the minute we stand our ground and we go, no, no more. Devil, you can't have my marriage. You can't have my kids. You can't have our city. No. The minute we do that, our enemy has to take a step back. And some of us need to grow a backbone and start fighting the good fight. Dude, mm, where did that come from? If I had a hanky, I'm telling you. (laughs) Some of you come from backgrounds where you're just like, oh, I some of you are just scared <laughs> you're like what is going on right now verse 16 from that day on half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears shields bows and armor step four they worked together they work together it says that half worked and half watched And they weren't watching like, oh, good, I'm glad you guys got it. Thanks for doing all that. Oh, good, somebody else will set up our whole church on Sunday mornings. I'm good. They weren't watching like that. They were aggressively waiting for a fight. Half of the people started working, and the other half got out their spears and their swords and their bows, and they said, all right, come on, the enemy's going to attack at any time. we got your back. We're ready. They worked together. Listen, the vision of God is so great, it's so big. That unless we work together, we will never see it come to pass. I think this has everything to do with accountability. I'll just be honest with you. I'm a huge accountability guy. Because here's the question. Men, women, young, old, who's watching your back? Who's watching your back? Half worked, half watched. Who's watching our back? Is anybody? Anybody? To see if we don't have somebody watching our back, we're going to get ambushed. Plain and simple. How did they see the vision of God come to pass? Which, by the way, it only took 52 days. A hundred years, 52 days. How did they see it come to pass? They worked together. And they figured out a system where half of them could be working and half of them could be watching their backs. My contention to us today is the very same thing needs to be true. If we don't have somebody watching our back for us at all times, we will be ambushed. Because our enemy, he's tricky. He's slithery. He'll attack us. Something else I want you to notice in this verse, step five. The men stepped up. Quick disclaimer. Ladies, listen, this is nothing against you. I just need to address the men for a second. Men, it's time. Uh, it's time. It's time for us to quit whining and moping and being all just wishy-washy and mamby-pamby and, and making our wife feel like she's dragging us to church and well, I wish, and, uh, listen men, it's time. The God-sized vision doesn't get done without the men leading the way. And it's time, men. It is time. I'm telling you, this is burning in my heart. This is burning in my heart, man. It's us. It's us. we got to stop looking around. Going, oh, I'm so no, knock it off. Greater is he that's in us, men, than he that's in the world. The enemy's been defeated. Our life is not that bad. It's time for us to stand up as the men of God and say, we're going to lead. We're going to take the reins. We're going to go forward. We're going to fight. We're going to be strong. These are our sons. These are our daughters. These are our children. These are our spouses. This is our city, men, And we're going to fight for it. Until you believe that your marriage and your kids are worth fighting for, you're always going to lose. Until we believe that God wants us to win we're always gonna lose until we believe that we are winning the Bible says we are more than conquerors until we start believing that at the the spirit level we're gonna lose it requires the men to get up on the wall and start fighting for what is ours fighting for the vision of God it's time for some godly men to start leading in the power of the Holy Spirit. And start being the leaders in our homes that God has called us to be. Men, I'm so passionate about this. Here's what we're going to do this summer semester of, of connection groups. I'm going to be leading one Saturday a month at the warehouse. For three months in a row, June, July, and August, I'm going to be hosting a men's morning at the, at the warehouse. And we're going we're gonna to fight. Men, it's time. Listen, the vision of God for Next Level Church in Southwest Florida and in in our nation is great, but it's never going to happen if if us men are just all manby-pamby. It's going to require the men of this church to stand up and say, we're going to honor God, spirit, soul, and body. We're going to put God first with all that's within us. So men, I'm calling all men. It's time to rise up. It's time to take the lead. Why? Because of our homes and our marriages, and our kids, our sons, and our daughters. It's personal men, and I'm calling you to join me. I may not look like a tough guy on the outside, because I'm not. (laughs) Are you wearing a floral shirt? (laughs) Calling us to fight? I don't know who's in charge of wardrobe but they need to bring some consistency, brother. (laughs) Verse 16, the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Step number six is this, the leaders got behind them. The leaders stood behind them and strengthened them. Listen, my heart is on fire right now for leadership development. Here's what I know. We need strong leaders to get where God is calling us to go, church. we can't win we can't win without strong leaders so my challenge to us as a church is all across the board no matter how long you've been attending maybe you've been attending church an hour and four minutes maybe you've been attending church 104 sundays i don't know where you're at but listen you're a leader You have influence over some group of people, be it small, medium or large. It doesn't matter. Every single one of us are leaders. And I challenge us. Here's the challenge today to take May, June, July and August, the next four months through the summer and start to strengthen your leadership. Do whatever you have to do to start making yourself a better leader in your workplace, a better leader in your school, a better leader in your home, a better leader wherever you find yourself in this church. Guys, listen, it's all about leadership. We need strong leaders to accomplish the big vision of God for our church for our families for our city verse 17 those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the others here's the last step how do we see the God-sized vision come to pass in our church come to pass and our marriages come to pass and our homes come to pass in our city here's how we got to learn the art of working and fighting at the same time it says that they held a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other they learned the tricky but essential balance between our job and our vision. The balance between our work and our life. And guys, listen, here's what I think. I think if, if, we, can, if we can learn the art of living in that tension... That that what we do in our workplace is not just about a paycheck. It's not just about nine to five. It's not just about meeting our quota. That God has placed us where we are, when we are, and who we are. For a purpose and a reason, for a God-sized vision. That we can learn that, stay-at-home moms. If we can see beyond the diapers and and the messes and the terrible twos. And see that we're empowering and raising up the next generation in the body of Christ. We win. If we can learn the art of living in the tension between what we do and why we do it, we win. And not only do we win, but our city wins. And the communities downtown win. And our church wins. Our families win. Because, see, at the end of the day, anything good, anything God is worth fighting for. So here's my question to us this morning Do you know what you're fighting for? Do you know? Do you even know? How long has it been since you took a little bit of time like this and reflected on what it is exactly that you're called to fight for? Maybe you're here and you've been tempted to give up the fight. Maybe man, you're looking at your life and you're going, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I just don't know. I just It just doesn't feel like, doesn't feel like we're making any progress. Don't give up, don't give up battle is always the heaviest right before the victory. Don't give up the fight. Don't give up your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your workplace and those guys down the hall that drive you nuts and are so far from God. Guess what? God's about to arrange circumstances to give you opportunity to share your faith like you never thought was possible. Don't give up. Maybe you've been tempted to give up on this church. Don't give up. Don't give up. We're stepping into a season of leadership and influence where so many lives of the lost and the hurting and the broken and the forgotten and the desperate hearted and the next generation are going to be swept into the kingdom and we have a chance to be a part of that. Don't give up. what are you fighting for? What are you fighting for in your home? What are you fighting for in your marriage? What are you fighting for in your life? What are you fighting for? What are we fighting for as a church? I'll tell you what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the soul of a city. We're fighting for the soul of a region of the country that has 1.1 million people in it. The majority of which are living without hope, living without purpose, living without meaning, living without significance, living without Jesus in their everyday life. So we're going to fight. We're going to keep fighting as a church. Because we know what we're playing for. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Across this room, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, you've called us to play hard. Thank you, God, that you've not left this thing to chance, but God, you've given us a strategy to see this God-ordained, God-sized vision come to pass. And Father, I pray right now that we would leave this place reminded of what it is that you've called us to fight for and to play for, what this game of life is all about. Lord Jesus, I pray for marriages today. I pray for children today. I pray for families today. God, I pray for our schools in this county today. I pray for our communities downtown. I pray for our neighborhoods and our workplaces, God, that a light would begin to shine in dark places, Lord. We recognize that darkness abounds. But when the light comes, darkness has to flee and so father I pray that a spirit of courage a spirit of boldness would be upon us today as we leave this place and re-enter and re-engage our world I pray in the name of Jesus that the light would come and it would begin to dispel the darkness that we begin to have conversations like we never imagined we'd be able to have with family members and co-workers and classmates friends about you and about what you're doing, the reality of you in our lives, God. Father, I thank you that you've positioned us as a church to fight and to lead in our city. And Father, we won't back away from that. We will run toward that vision. And when opposition comes, we will count it all joy. We will count it all joy. Jesus, thank you for the reminder of what we've come, what we're called to play this game of life for. In Jesus' name. And all across this room, everybody said,